and welcome in everybody this to our broadcast. This is Jacob Ayer, and alongside me are Jake McGrail, Corey Branson, and Nico Roselli today of CITR Sports. No Liz, unfortunately. She has some class, but we're working those out. And we are broadcasting still from UBC's Point Grey campus, located on the unseated grounds of the Musqueam people. You're listening to Thunderbird Eye on CITR 101.9. Always keep you up to date with the latest UBC Thunderbirds news, standings, and stories. And in terms of the Thunderbirds schedule, this past week was, well, not that great on nearly every front. There were a couple (laughs) bright spots. And although, and one of those bright spots was golf, who dominated per usual. Thanks, Corey, for your great insights last week to that. Not that hard of a choice. (laughs) (laughs) However, the best uh, follow-up effort to that came from women's soccer, who was able to avoid any losses over the weekend. However, they also weren't able to capture any wins. So it was kind of a... uh, I don't know, a blank slate, if you will. The only other win that came on the weekend outside of men's field hockey, who's not even a varsity program, came from a mismatched women's hockey exhibition against a club team. That means every other UBC athletics game fell into the hands of the opponents, which included a match from both men's and women's rugby, two games from men's hockey, and football was a whole other topic. We'll dive (laughs) into that later. But even though there were a lot of lows, we do have some highs for this week, including a very special episode, which might run a little bit longer than usual. Thanks to an undercover sport that's going to get some much-needed spotlight today, our very own Corey Branson had the chance to sit down with a UBC track and field athlete who's not only a university standout, but he's even made appearances for the Canadian national team. And this athlete, his name is Kenny Ho, and his sport is the often misunderstood event of race walking. We hope you guys enjoy the view, the interview, so sit back and listen up. It's about 15 minutes of glory into a sport that, like I said, is a bit mis- up, misrepresented. Enjoy the interview. Hello, everybody. I'm Corey Branson with the CITR Sports Collective and Thunderbird Eye, here to interview one of our own Thunderbird athletes and one of my own good friends, Today I am joined by Kenny Ho, a third-year race walker who is part of the track and field team here at UBC. And not only does he race for the blue and gold, but Kenny has also recently represented Team Canada in race walking at the Pan American Cup in Lazaro Cardenas, Mexico. Kenny Ho, thank you for being here and welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you for the amazing opportunity. Yeah, no problem. Let's get started here. So right off the bat, to be frank, race walking is not the most popular sport in the world. I'd wager that not many kids dream of one day making it to the Olympics to compete in such a discipline. With that being said, though, you've clearly found a ton of success in something that you love. So how did you end up pursuing such an unorthodox sport? And how did you fall in love with it? So for me, I find that like, um, it's really weird. It's a, it's a weird backstory, but it starts from my high school um, coach, Robert Solms. And he was a race walker back in uh, Ontario. And he made it quite far uh, as a junior but then he stopped as a senior anyways uh i started track and field when i was in grade 10 um in the 1500 and the 3000 so mid distance i wasn't particularly good at any of them i'd probably be in the last three quarters of the field um my times were like 430s and i never broke 10 minutes um that was not like that was just me starting out but um came cross country season um, I trained a lot more. I had the summer to train, and um, my coach saw a lot of um, improvement. So he was like, hey, 
why don't you try race walking? And in my school, race walking was quite a big thing. Our um, my sc- uh, high school, Killarney Secondary, was one of the race walking powerhouses in uh, BC High School track and field. And um, I did it. Um, I got significantly better at it. Um, I beat people that were training for years and years on end. And my competitive side kind of kicked in, and it stuck, and I love it. (laughs) Fair enough. So moving forward here, I will admit both to the listeners and to you, Kenny, that I'm not super familiar with how race walking works. Uh, So I'm going to ask a few clarifying questions as we go through here. But I do understand from looking at your race results that you race in both the 5K and the 20K distances, which I would assume are quite different. So I'm wondering which distance you prefer and if you could explain to the listeners and to me what the difference would be between those two events. All right. So um, the difference between the 5 and 20K, the um, the 5K is kind of the most recognized shortest distance in the IAAF for race walking. So people generally don't look at 3,000s or 1,500 race walk as results. Um, They kind of just look at 1,500 as the shortest distance. And because of the depth in the IAAF um, of race walking, race walkers tend to do all of it. So people like race walkers would do the 5,000, the 10,000, the 15,000, and the 20,000, with a slight exception to the 50,000. You kind of have to be a little crazy to do that. (laughs) But um, yeah, the 5 and the 20, the 5, I would consider more of a sprint, and the 20 is kind of more of a tactical race. In my preference, I kind of like both. Um, they both kind of bring a different skill set uh, to me. So, for example, like the 5K, I can kind of just smoke someone uh, if I had the speed. <laughs> <laughs> and the 20K is kind of more like a calculated effort because, as you can see, a 20-kilometer race, you can't really – die out in the first 5k so it's more of a calculated effort so i'm uh, always like conserving my energy and uh, whatnot and both those kind of work hand in hand because it tells me what i need to improve on do i need to work on my pacing do i need to work on my speed and i I kind of adjust my training towards that awesome it's amazing how much strategy goes into that with what on the surface looks like a fairly simple sport i think one foot in front of the other but basically yeah yeah, it (laughs) sounds like there's a lot of work going in your mind when you're doing that So it's the track off-season right now, but you just had quite the eventful spring. You finished second at the CCC, that's the Cascade Collegiate Conference Championship, down in Oregon. But then you were disqualified in both the NAIA Championships and in the aforementioned Pan American Cup. Could you walk us through each of those events and how they played out for you? Yeah, for sure. So starting with the uh, Cascade Collegiate Conference, it wasn't really too big of a... There's not much story behind it. I just raced it... Honestly, the entire race was just all Thunderbirds because no one in that conference race walks. Um, So I came in second behind Alger Liang, my training partner. Um, But the more interesting story actually uh, would be the um, NAIA championships in Gulf Shores, Alabama. So um, that race was kind of an interesting one because um, I was doing actually quite well in the race. uh, And I was kind of battling it out with uh, one of the people I know that's on Team USA, a 50K walker, um, AJ Grutato. um, And we were kind of battling out for second, third. Um, At the 3.5K mark, he got disqualified, and I had two red cards. So in race walking, you have to have, um, in some jurisdictions, um, it's three red cards and you're out. Some of them are three red cards, and then you go into a penalty lane for a minute. Um, in this case, it was only three cards and you're out. 
So um, I already had two cards by then at three and a half K um, and he was disqualified. So I kind of wanted to push my boundary. I wanted to hit a personal best. Little did I know at the finish line, um, I thought the finish line was the mile start line. So it was, it's about 10 meters behind and I stopped there and my teammate kept on screaming at me, telling me that's not the finish. That's not the finish. But I wasn't really listening. So um, I kind of didn't really finish the race uh, in that sense uh, until like a minute later when I actually listened and the second, uh, so the third place person went into second and then I went ahead. But um, because I didn't really um, focus on my form in the last 100 meters, this is another rule in race walking, um, a judge could immediately disqualify you in that race. So I got disqualified because I wasn't watching my form in the last 100 meters. And it was also because it was a mix of kind of um, the first little bit when I was trying to battle out with uh, my team or um, with uh, my rival. Yeah. And speaking to uh, the Pan American Cup in Lazaro Cardenas, um, it was just a really stressful time, I think, for me, because um, um, I was just overwhelmed that it was my first national team. Um, it was really weird uh, just going straight to compete because um, it was literally, I flew literally right after I finished my finance exam. And um, I didn't really have time to acclimate or uh, or just get into the spirit of like erasing or anything. I just kind of was just like diving straight in. And um, I kind of just suffered like kind of like... Um, I wouldn't say a mental breakdown, but it was just um, just I wasn't really fully mentally prepared for the race. And there was a lot of things that just kind of just got me really stressed that day. So, for example, like the weather, um, me feeling tired, like everything came into play and I started getting these negative thoughts. And that kind of hindered my performance because usually when I race, I think of what I can do. But um, in that race, I was thinking what I can't do. So... As my coach said during that race, um, I was uh, at a moonwalk pace um, during that race, which, again, um, I guess I was because I was going around five-minute kilometers, which is quite slow for that um, international caliber race. And, I was again, I was overwhelmed by that international caliber. But um, uh, I got disqualified at the 10th kilometer because, well, I knew myself that I was breaking form and I was just trying to go faster, and um, it just didn't work out that well. Fair enough. I really appreciate you being open about those experiences. They sound like fascinating stories, even mm-hmm. if they didn't really turn out that great for you. Just kind of a follow-up question on that. Even though you were disqualified in the Pan American Cup, do you feel like you still benefited from that national team experience in the end? Oh, yeah, definitely. I think the point of being on a national team is being able to represent your country. It doesn't have to be on uh, during the race. It could just be by meeting other people, we're kind of like ambassadors for the country in, in a sense. And we got to meet other people from different countries, Brazil, Mexico, wherever. It was weird because when you meet other people, language is not really a barrier. You just kind of just hang out with them and just have a good time with them and race because you kind of bond over race walking, which is really, really cool. Awesome. So you mentioned earlier your teammate, Alger Liang. He's with you here on the Thunderbirds, and he also went to your high school as well that you mentioned was a bit of a race-walking powerhouse. I was wondering if you could explain a bit about your relationship between the two of you. Uh, is he a role model for you because he is a year above you? Is it a competitive relationship? How does that look? Yeah, so um, Alger and I go quite back, um, even before track and field. Um, 
he was actually our uh, student council uh, prime minister. And I was the secretary within that student council. I kind of took over his position the year after because he graduated. But um, even when I started race walking, he's been very supportive, very kind, and very like encouraging of me in all my athletic endeavors. And he's been nothing but helpful in uh, anything that I do that's track related and even life related. Because um, like we just have sometimes these deep life talks, and like um, it goes really deep. As well as even on the track when I'm saying uh, when I have like doubts about like oh can I make the standard or can I do this it's always like um, he's able to help me and it it's same thing kind of reciprocates with me when he needs help I'll try to help him as much as I can as well so it's kind of like a tit for tat relationship when it comes to racing though um, it does uh, it will get competitive because um, speed wise we're quite similar I'd probably be the slower one of the two. But, um, yeah, we kind of battle out in racing. But when the race is over, we go back to our normal selves. We're happy. And we don't really care who makes it on top or not because at the end of the, uh, the day, all we want to do is fly the flag and, like, you know, be proud uh, of uh, being a Canadian athlete. Yeah, I think that's a very good thing to be proud of mm-hmm. out there when you're racing. So Alger's on the team I want to look kind of more at the greater track and field team because race walking is umbrellaed under track and field. But, of course, every event is unique, involves different training regimens and practice schedules. Would you say that you folks on the track team feel like a unified group? And how do you build those relationships with folks in dissimilar disciplines? So I would say that, like, team sports and individual sports kind of have a bit of a difference because team sports, as you can see, they're very close, tight knit. Um, I wouldn't say the track team is fully tight knit. Like there are group, like each group is t- tight knit within themselves. But I find that like we're we still are able to get along with anyone in any other discipline in any other training group. And um, with that, like um, we're able to you know um, get close with our group and you know get to know each other a little better. Um, even like. Um, Again, I said that we're not really a team sport, so we don't really bond with each other until we have actual meets. So um, when we have like these big track and field competitions, such as the NAIA championships, um, that's when kind of when all groups kind of come together and bond. And it's always a great time because we always wish that we could spend more time with each other, which is very sweet. Yeah, I think that's fair, and I think you bring up a really interesting comparison between team sports and individual sports, especially, rather, at a place like UBC where we do sort of lump, you know, the golf team, the track and field team, any of those sort of individual sports. We refer to them as a team, but the dynamic is obviously going to be different. Mm -hmm. So lastly, Kenny, I know it's still early days here, but having already represented Team Canada at such a high-profile event, you're sort of on the fast track to success in this sport. Do you have any idea of what the future may hold for you in race walking? And could you give the listeners an idea of what like being a professional race walker might entail? Yeah, so I kind of go with the same theory I kind of did when I committed to UBC as a race walker and as a Thunderbird. My philosophy for just race walking is um, I'm going to do it till I can't no more, which kind of sounds like a little Nas X lyric. But... <laughs> <laughs> um, but um, I honestly believe that. So I want to push myself as much as I can until I break, basically. Um, and I literally mean break. So um, I know I've had like my fair share of injuries and whatnot, but like I'm still going back at it. I'm still um, 
like my goal um, at the end is trying to make the Olympic Games in Paris. So hashtag 2024. But um, yeah, the idea of a professional race walker, um, I don't really know how that's going to be like, but I do train with uh, one of the best in the country, Evan Dunphy. He's a 50-kilometer race walker, more famously known for coming in fourth at the Olympics and refusing his bronze medal um, because of sportsmanship, and that's really cool of him to do so. But in in that life, um, as a professional race walker, I would imagine myself having some sort of a job um, as well as kind of having a uh, high focus on training, kind of like what I'm doing with school right now. So as um, you, um, as most people can see, like um, varsity athletes kind of just train, they do what they need, they eat right, and then they also go to school. So instead of school, um, I would replace that with work in my professional career and hopefully maybe land a sponsorship or two because race walking <laughs> it doesn't pay the bills. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, That was awesome, Kenny. I really appreciated hearing some of the stories that you had to tell about this sport that I know very little about and that I think our listeners know very little about. Otherwise, that will wrap up our interview. Again, thank you so much for coming in, Kenny, especially right at the start of the year when schedules can be hectic. And good luck for the season in January. Mm -hmm. Yeah, thank you very much, Corey. Yeah. This has been Corey Branson with the CITR Sports Collective and Thunderbird Eye, joined by Kenny Ho of the UBC Thunderbirds track and field team. Thank you all for listening. Discorder Magazine has been supporting local music for over 30 years. Thanks to the long-term support of the Rickshaw Theater, Discorder lives. Your favorite bands are playing at the Rickshaw Theater. Check out their calendar just behind the cover of Discorder Magazine or at rickshawtheater.com. heard about Megaphone Magazine? It's an award-winning publication sold on the streets of Vancouver and Victoria by low-income and homeless vendors. 
When you buy Megaphone, you get entertaining and informative stories written by professional journalists, and you're also helping to empower people in poverty. Here's how it works. Vendors buy each magazine for 75 cents and sell them for $2, keeping the profits. With the money they earn, our vendors are able to buy healthy food, clothing, and other necessities, plus they forge valuable connections with their customers. This year I earned enough income to take a trip to Victoria, meet lots of new people, and had an awesome time. Don't miss out on this month's edition of Megaphone, chock full of voices and perspectives that you won't find anywhere else. Track down a vendor using our free Find a Vendor app, downloadable at megaphonemagazine.com. Hello and welcome back to Thunderbird Eye, everyone. We had a temporary uh, moment of, well, I'm not sure, I guess lack of knowledge about what the show was going to do. There was a fire alarm in the building in the nest where we broadcast, but... We're here. The fire alarm has dissipated thanks to the wonderful firemen and firewomen that came to stop it. So our show is back on track. We hope you enjoyed that interview with Kenny Ho. Corey, great job on that. We learned, I think, a lot about race walking overall. But now let's get back to the Thunderbird sports. Jake, what happened in terms of soccer? Yeah, only one soccer team was in action this week. The men's team had a bye and the Thunderbirds women's side got their season officially underway with a pair of home games this past weekend. The good news is they're still undefeated. A bit worse news, they drew both games, so only two points out of a possible six. First up was the opener on Friday against Trinity Western, who were ranked number two in the country heading into the match. UBC just cracking the top ten themselves. Despite some good chances on both sides, no one was able to solve either goalkeeper, and the match ended 0-0. Yeah, the Thunderbirds had their best chance less than ten minutes into this one, as midfielder Sophie Damien whipped across that landed directly inside the Spartan six-yard box. A uh, goal scramble ensued, but despite multiple Thunderbirds having a kick at the ball, the Spartans had a body in the way every single time. But the thun- the Trinity Western side did have a glorious first-half chance of their own when a mis- miscommunication sent a Spartan forward on a breakaway. However, she blasted it over the net, unfortunately, for the Trinity Western side. Then in the second half, both goalies were superb. They made great saves off headers with UBC's Emily Moore and her counterpart, from Trinity Western, Hannah Miller, combining for 10 total saves. The match was very even. Statistically, shots were 8-7 to seven, Trinity Western. Corners were 3-all, and there was only one offside call from the entire game. Yeah, very even match. Good to see UBC stacking up against one of the best teams, or at least one of the best teams heading into the season, considered by whoever does the sports rankings. We have, we have history with the, the sports ranking people, <laughs> me specifically. But the second match was against Fraser Valley on Saturday. And well, this time there were goals. The result was still the same. It ended in a draw with a score of 1-1. to This time around, Thunderbirds were on their heels early on. They nearly fell behind very early when an in-swinging corner from the Cascades actually came so far in that it hit the crossbar and it narrowly missed the back of the net, giving the Thunderbirds a bit of a break. Yeah, the, it was an almost spectacular goal from the Cascades, but then they did score a pretty spectacular goal of their own later, uh, giveaway by the Thunderbirds uh, in their defensive end. Cascades' Brianna Butar caught more off her line. She lobbed it over the goalie's head from around 25 yards out. Quite a spectacular finish, and not a great start for the Thunderbirds. Yeah, we mentioned that it w- they were the Thunderbirds were sort of on their heels at the start of that game, and it was a very poor start for the Thunderbirds in general who managed just two shot attempts the entire first half. But they turned it after the break, outshooting UFV 8-4 to in the second half and dominating much of the play. Yeah, definitely turned it around in the second half. And they finally got a breakthrough after all that pressure. In the 87th minute, they left it very late. Amelia Crawford, low cross into the box. 
though it missed Danielle's steer, it's hard to tell whether she just missed it or whether she dummied it on purpose. But in the end, it rolled all the way through to Damien, who's completely unmarked, closer to the back post. She knocked it into the bottom corner, and they finally got the first goal of the season. And a couple games in now to the season, definitely not the start that the team wanted in terms of offense. But similar to that men's team for the UBC side, they're getting a good number of chances. It's just finishing that they're coming up a bit short. Yeah, and at least they're not getting like super outshot or outpossessed or dominated or whatever. They're, they're getting their chances, so hopefully they'll start putting them into the back of the net in the next few games. And the defense is still looking very strong, just like it was last year. And if you've got an elite defense, you're going to be in it every single game, even if your offense isn't really working. Very true. And next up is the first road trip of the season, as the Thunderbirds will travel to Alberta to take on Mount Royal and Lethbridge this weekend. And while uh, soccer wasn't terrible news, there's some a bit worse news coming uh, on the gridiron. Yeah, we alluded to this a little bit in the open. You may want to avert your ears for this one, folks. I commented last week that this team would be fun to watch, if anything else, this year. But after this weekend's performance, it's clear they still need to work out a few kinks before they even reach that threshold. A 40-7 to loss against Saskatchewan was the latest lopsided defeat suffered this past Friday. They're definitely building blocks to work off of, but right now they look more like Lego than real bricks. Yeah, it's uh, not a great performance from the Thunderbirds. Again, the theme of this one was just giving up big play after big play. Huskies, they scored a 63-yard Adam Matchart run. They had a 75-yard punt return for a touchdown. A 95-yard pick six with less than a minute to go in the game when it was already you, over. You gotta love it. <laughs> That's like Patriots mentality right there. No, no mercy. Yeah, no mercy from Saskatchewan. And then uh, even before that, there was a 52-yard run late in the first half that didn't score a touchdown but set them up right near the goal line and led to one. And uh, Thunderbirds... Can't be given up that many just ginormous plays. And you look back to last week, relatively similar early on for the Thunderbirds. They were able able to keep it close in both games. But after that alluded to match art run, put up the Huskies near the top of the end of the first quarter. Tommy Yanchuk, the Thunderbirds rookie quarterback, along with some help, was able to lead an equalizing drive that ended with a touchdown connection with Jacob Patton for a 12-yard score. Also similar to the previous game, they then immediately nosedived as the final score was rather unfavorable with 33 unanswered points from the Huskies. And from then on, it was a, uh, well, from that point on in scoring, it was was just downhill (laughs) overall. Two straight games giving up like a 30-plus point unanswered run. (laughs) You're not going to win games if you just go through that big of a funk. Yeah, it's really interesting to look at, and I'm interested to see what's kind of happening defensively while these breakdowns are happening, because they're starting the games well. Mm -hmm. Uh, Saskatchewan didn't score till the end of the first quarter in this one. Anyways, head coach Blake Nill made it clear in this one that the starting QB job is up for grabs. Ian Chuck did take over 50% of the snaps, but second-year Gabe Olivares is also being scouted to fill the Michael O'Connor-sized hole in this team. Ian Chuck went 18 for 33 for 188 yards with the one TD and one pick, while Olivares went six for 15 for 62 yards and the aforementioned pick six, coming in every few drives to relieve Yanchuk. Yanchuk still looks like he has the leg up in this race, but this battle should be interesting to follow. I mean, no one should really have their spot locked in, like at the moment, given how the team is playing, everything should be up for grabs. Although one player that's really stood out, at least offensively, is Patton, the wide receiver. He's not letting the team down. 
He had that crazy circus catch near the end of last game, and then he was much more efficient this week, pulled in six receptions for 75 yards, had the lone Thunderbirds touchdown. Uh, other receiver, Trey Kellogg, had six receptions of his own for 74 yards. And then defensively, the standouts were Nick Cross, who had 12 tackles, two of them for a loss, with a sack of Huskies quarterback Mason Nias, while Lake Corte Moore had three tackles, all of them for a loss. Very good efficiency on those tackles, including a sack and an interception. And for Saskatchewan, three offensive leaders seized the day. Nias went a stylish 26 for 37 and 300-plus yards with one touchdown and one pick. Mackard had 134 yards with two scores. And Colton Classel hauled in eight balls for 135 yards, though he wasn't able to find Paydirt. In other words, he wasn't able to find the end zone. And the Thunderbirds, it's homecoming weekend for them. You hope they can turn it around, find a bit of consistency, expand upon that first scoring drive, and maybe put something up for the fans that shows a favorable or at least even match. Oh boy. <laughs> yeah, I'd love to see a uh, second scoring drive. <laughs> That'd be great. We'll see what happens, but at least uh, football, it can't really go further down from here. It's all uphill or Downhill, whichever you prefer for the term. I've always found that term so confusing. Downhill's easier to go. Anyways, things are hopefully going to start looking up soon for the Thunderbirds, but you don't really know. Lots up for grabs, for sure. Uh, Moving on to men's hockey, the UBC men's hockey team continued their exhibition schedule with two games away from home against the University of Alberta on September 6th and 7th. The men's hockey team tried to bounce back from two tough losses against Wisconsin at the beginning of September but ended up having to take two more losses on the road, making the Thunderbirds 0-3-1 to start off the year. Game 1 ended in a 3-2 overtime loss, and Game 2 ended in a 6-2 regulation loss. You know, 0-3-1, that doesn't sound great. That's not great. (laughs) Having no wins out of four, but it is preseason. It is, and it is four games against first one of the NCAA powerhouses and then the defending Canada West champions on the road. So it's hard to schedule uh, tougher preseason games, and hopefully this will help tune up the men's hockey team once they get the full conference season underway. And there were some positives to this game. It wasn't like they were blown out by the defending Canada West champions. UBC and Alberta were both able to score goals across the first and second periods, and then the third period had Alberta scoring the lone goal. But if you look at shot totals, they were actually identical for both teams, meaning at least UBC is putting puck on net. As well, UBC is getting contributions for a bu- from a bunch of different players right now, which is nice to see, some of whom are continuing their solid performances from that Wisconsin series we talked about last week. So Austin Glover continues to shoot the puck. He had five shots on goal, which is always great. More shots equals more goals. Austin Vetterell with one goal, and Matt Revel had one assist. And then Tyler Sandu, who we talked about briefly last show, he put up one goal in the contest as well. It's good to see him getting on the score sheet. Yeah, UBC showed a bit of resiliency as well. They were down twice. They tied the game at one with less than two minutes left in the first period. They tied it again at two with less than three minutes to go in the second after Alberta had scored just 12 seconds into the period. So, I mean, not a great start to the period, but then they rebound. Unfortunately, they uh, lost in overtime. They did. And looking through the Alberta roster, one player definitely stood out, and that was Tyler Soy. Tyler Soy ended up receiving the first star of the game. Local product hailing from Cloverdale, BC, assisted on the last two Alberta goals. If Tyler Soy's name sounds familiar in the BC hockey world, it is because of his proven track record. Starting in the 2015-2016 season with the Victoria Royals of the WHL, Soy eclipsed a point per game up to and including his final season before heading over to the ECHL, 
The former draft pick of the Anaheim Ducks was also an invitee to Canucks camp in 2018. How could he do this to us? <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> the BC boy breaking our hearts. It's terrible, but definitely a formidable opponent. You understand why they maybe fell short with uh, players on the opposition as good as Soy. Game two was not as good as game one for UBC. The score was even after one period, but a four-goal second period. That led to the 6-2 win for Alberta and was the real difference maker. Yeah, six different goal scorers for Alberta, including Soy, he got one, and uh, definitely one of the Thunderbirds are going to want to forget. They will get another crack at Alberta uh, when Canada West play actually begins at the end of the month, and they will look for their first win on the 13th, which is tomorrow evening against Trinity Western here at home, finally getting a preseason game against Canada West uh, opposition here at uh, UBC. And rugby surprisingly both the women's team who came in ranked number one in Canada West and the men's rugby program who has a proven track record of being not only one of the best in Canada but one of the best in all of North America they both dropped their games this past weekend very unlikely Um, and there might be some reasons for it which we can maybe dive into but we'll start out with the men's side they were playing the Burnaby Lake FC club and it was a low scoring affair and they dueled it out but ultimately, Burnaby Lake FC came out on top. Yeah, this one was a mid-afternoon away game this past Saturday with a team that varied quite a bit in the roster from last year's dominant 18-5 and squad, which used to be led by Clint Lemkis, uh, Calixto Martinez, and their golden boy, Theo Sauter. These roster changes, you know, it, might af- it may affect their dominance in this coming year, as when we were doing our predictions, I didn't realize how many key players in this uh, starting 15 had really changed. You got to think, Sauter was their constant speed threat. He was not only uh, putting down tries, but he was also taking the conversions. He was taking the place kicks. Theo Sauter was kind of a, a super utility player with a ton of speed. And then Lemko was one of the mainstays in terms of power on the team. And then Calixto Martinez, I believe he was the hooker on the team. That's a very vital position that it's it's really hard to p- replace, especially based off the bond that they usually have with the two props on either side of them. Yeah, and as you mentioned, the UBC women's team, number one ranked heading into the season. Obviously, Calgary didn't really like that. They came in ranked number two, came to Gerald McGavin, uh, UBC Rugby Center here, and uh, took down the Thunderbirds and uh, looking to claim back that number one rank. The game seemed to be going in UBC's favor as they jumped out to a quick 14-0 lead. However, the Dinos traded duties with 22 unanswered points to take the match 22-14. to 14. Yeah, that seems to be a theme this past week is giving up big unanswered point runs. Let them yeah. go on the big stretches. <laughs> Nothing could go wrong. <laughs> yeah, it was Madison Gold and Jillian Bogue, who were the two Thunderbirds, got UBC on the board early on. Then it was nothing from there for the UBC offense, and Calgary took a one-point advantage late in the match, and then it was a 72nd-minute try from the Dinos' Paige Miller that put it out of reach. Coming up in terms of rugby, hoping to bounce back, the women will take on Victoria on September 15th in the Legends Cup matchup. We love it here. you gotta, you got to appreciate the <laughs> basically forced rivalry between the two schools. It's awesome. Really, Trinity Western, I feel like, has a lot more natural rivalry with us, but it's great. Legends Cup provides a ton of extra emphasis on why it's important to win those games. And on the men's side, they will begin the World University Rugby Cup in Japan in two days from now, September 14th, and that's a 10-day-long event that will be running through September 24th. We'll see if they're able to turn it around and put their names in as one of the top programs in all of the world. 
Alrighty, folks. We've run across losses in every single sport now. We've talked rugby. We've talked football. We've talked hockey. I'm finally ready to provide you some good news. Let's hear it, Corey. What's the good news? <laughs> so the autumn golf season kicked off in predictable fashion for the most part with our Thunderbirds teams, both men and women, earning team victories at the Multnomah University Invite in Woodburn, Oregon. Congratulations to Ethan DeGraff, particularly, who won his first individual men's title in this his second season with the team. On the women's side, the only surprise at the tournament was that no Thunderbird snagged first place individually. A dominant team performance ensured their victory regardless, but it was an uncharacteristic blip. Finally, we get to talk about some good results for UBC. It feels good. And uh, the top Thunderbird on the women's competition, even more surprisingly, wasn't Kate Johnson. Wasn't Esther Lee or Cecil Kwan or Shania Rama Endaban. It was actually rookie Ju Wen who outscored all four of uh, their teammates, finished tied for second overall in the tournament at six over par. We saw this last year with a UBC women's golf rookie coming in and then just dominating. So if Wen can do that while still having Lee Johnson and the rest of the team, this team could be real, real good. <laughs> I mean, that's a power five right there for UBC. You mentioned those top four names. Then if you add in this other potential rookie who, if when turns into something big, going to be a very, very difficult side to beat. Meanwhile, it was Oregon Tech's Peyton Cannon that took home the individual prize at plus three. She was three shots better than when and Corbin's Megan George. It's also worth noting that Kate Johnson, after a less than stellar opening round, she was able to bounce back with a round with the round of the tournament a day later, shooting two under 70, the only under par round carded in the entire tournament. So Johnson had a very good single day performance. Yeah, she only finished fifth overall, but she showed just how good she can be with that one round. So if she got it firing on all cylinders in uh, both rounds of the next tournament, then UBC might be even further in front. Yeah, Kate Johnson, also worth mentioning, she played in the U.S. Women's Amateur earlier this summer, which is an incredible achievement. I remember seeing about that. I was like, just, you know, another testament to how good our golfers are here at UBC. Yeah, incredible. The fact that she's in the NAIA and they invited her to uh, participate in that, it's crazy. But looking now at the men's side, despite now being without two of their graduated standouts in Andrew Harrison and Ziggy Nathu, they also had a dominant performance. Ethan DeGraff, in particular, lapped the competition, finishing six strokes ahead of his nearest chasers at four under, making him the only one to finish in the red numbers in the tournament. There were also two rookies who made their de- debuts in this one. It was Malcolm Glumpack, who impressed with a tie for second place performance, while Will Tyndall nabbed 11th overall. Otherwise, the Polish powerhouse, Corey, fill in the name for me because I cannot pronounce it. Yes, his name is Andrzej Wiersba. Yes, Andrzej was able to finish fifth and senior Logan Carver finished tied for 16th. So a good performance, not quite as good as the women's overall. But like like you said earlier, there were a couple standouts uh, namely Glumpak as a rookie. Yeah, again, he obviously uh, is not joining a team as strong as the women, as you just said, so it's not the same situation as uh, with Wen on the women's side. But again, if they can have rookie standouts that can replicate or come close to replicating the production that Harrison and Nathu had last year, that can only mean good things. Yeah, next up, the men will tee off at the St. Martin's Invitational in Lacey, Washington, starting on the 20th. While both teams will be back in action as hosts of Invitationals come the 23rd, although the tournaments they are hosting are being held in Bellingham, which is quite the interesting uh, scheduling right it's there. A, it's a home game, but... Without much of a home field advantage. No home field advantage. I guess it's not really a game, it's golf, let's be honest here. <laughs> and uh, looking ahead, 
at the the UBC Thunderbirds events that will take place before our next show. Men's ice hockey, as mentioned, taking on Trinity Western tomorrow night here at home. On Saturday, men's rugby going to the World University Rugby Cup. That's starting then. Women's field hockey will play Calgary on the road. Women's soccer also in Alberta playing Mount Royal on the road. Men's field hockey playing India Field Hockey Club here in Vancouver. Homecoming, 3 p.m. on Saturday. UBC Thunderbirds versus the 2-0 Calgary Dinos. 0-2, point <laughs> differential. I don't know. I was Light calculation puts me around 70 for UBC and the negatives over two games. If there's ever a time to get back on track, though, it's definitely homecoming. Right. You got the so. crowd on your side. Hopefully they stay. I think in the first game you said, Corey, the crowd just fanned out right about after sometime during the mid-first quarter. I, I No, it wasn't mid-first quarter. It was kind of like as we got towards the end of the first half, I think, gotcha. when Regina started to pull away a little bit, and a lot of the folks there were, I don't know, getting tired of seeing their team get walloped. Well, hopefully they can do better than that. Yeah. you no. you got to think it's honestly going uphill, as we mentioned earlier, for football. They'll figure out the QB situation soon. Yeah, men's soccer also at home on Saturday against Lethbridge. Then on Sunday, women's field hockey rematch against Calgary. Women's soccer on the road against Lethbridge. And women's rugby playing that Legends Cup match on the island against Victoria. And then finally, before we go, got a couple quick uh, shout-outs. Both the women's basketball and men's volleyball teams are on a trip to Padova, Italy at the moment. They've spent the last week there training, enjoying the city bit, playing some exhibition matches as well. What What is training in Italy? I mean, <laughs> you know it's a vacation. I've talked to some of the athletes. It's a vacation They're if you're going to Italy. gym. Right. <laughs> With their pasta and wine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, with regards to the games themselves, the women's basketball team beat ASD San Martino di Lipari, which is a Division One pro team over in Italy. They're also going through their preseason at the moment. Uh, they beat them 66-53 to on Monday, and then they beat ASD Basket Sarcedo 67-54 yesterday. That's a Division Two team. They play one more game tomorrow against Rea Venezia, another Division One team. And the men's volleyball team apparently played three exhibition matches of their own. We have no record of what happened in any of them. So what we do know is that they probably happened, <laughs> and that's all we can say. <laughs> and who knows if it was 2018-2019 uh, early season men's volleyball yeah. performances or late season, one being very bad and the latter being much, much better. We'll have to see how they look when they come back home to play some exhibition matches here. Thank you to the University of Padova for hosting our teams. I believe they're staying until this weekend, so they still got a few more days out in Italy. And then finally, shout out to former UBC men's basketball star Connor Morgan, who represented Canada at the FIBA World Cup the last couple weeks for the tournament he averaged six points two rebounds and 47 percent shooting in 11 minutes a game though canada unfortunately were knocked out in the group stage so as as, as a team result not ideal but great honor for morgan playing against some of the world's Absolutely. best players over in china ubc represent gotta love our basketball program over here and with that Thank you guys so much for tuning in. Thanks, Corey, for getting Kenny Ho to come in so everyone on the air could learn a little bit more about race walking, the often misunderstood uh, track and field event. And thank you all for listening to Thunderbird Eye on CITR 101.9. Besides listening to the show, the best way to keep up to date with UBC Thunderbirds news, standings, and stories is to follow us on social media. We have Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube, which we will be delivering content to soon. And all of those channels are just... CITR Sports. Next up on CITR 